Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Now, today we're continuing our teaching series entitled, We Believe. And in the months of October and November, we're taking a look at some of the basic beliefs of the Christian faith and talking in terms of what does the Bible say, because at the end of the day, that's what really matters, is it not? What, what does the Bible say? Today, we're going to talk about my favorite topic of them all, and that's Jesus. We're going to talk about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, and who Jesus evermore shall be. Just like it says in Hebrews chapter 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, when theologians talk about who Jesus is, they're talking about something called Christology, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-L-O-G-Y, Christology. Uh, that, that's the study of who Jesus is. And of course, when you talk about Christology, again, the bottom line is, what does the Bible say? And a good launch pad for that topic is found in John chapter 1, verse 14. Look at this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now today, what I want to do is I want to just share with you some very plain, factual truths about Jesus. All right, we're going to talk, and I'm going to give you four of them straight from the Bible. Factual truths about Jesus. Okay, the first of which is this. Jesus Christ was preexistent, co-equal, is a member of the Trinity. That's important to understand that. John chapter 1, again, you talk about when, when theologians talk in terms of Christology, when you come across a passage from the Bible that emphasizes Jesus' deity as God of very God, uh, that's called a high Christology. John chapter 1 is some of the highest Christology in the entire Bible. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So let's keep that up there for just a moment, because I want to focus on one word in here, and that word is word. In the beginning was the word. In the original language, the word translated word is the word logos, or some people pronounce it logos, L-O-G-O-S. That was a very important word back in the ancient world, both for the Greeks as well as for the Jews. For the Greeks, the principle, the concept of logos was this invisible, impersonal, intelligent force that kind of held all things together in balance. Uh, life and death, good and evil, light and darkness. Uh, it, it was a principle, not a person, very impersonal, but it was still this thing that they, that they talked about and believed in. Now, the Jews also used the word logos to talk about the word, uh, the, the eternal agent in creation, revelation, and redemption. Uh, notice this, in the beginning was the word. That should ring a bell. What does that make you think about? Of course, Genesis 1, verse 1, the very first verse in the entire Bible, in the beginning, God. And what this says, and it casts the word, the logos, as someone who was not only with God, but who was God. 
That's that's the message of John chapter 1. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared with you some additional resources that you might want to consult uh, to explore some of these theological truths further. A couple books that I mentioned was uh, Danny Aiken's book, A Theology for the Church, as well as Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book. This is definitely the advanced level. I mean, if, if you are a glutton for theological information and punishment, these are the books for you, both at about 1,000 pages. But I want, I want to just reference a quote from this Danny Aiken book, A Theology for the Church. Listen to this. John used the logos, okay, there's the word, because of its capacity to communicate in Jewish and Greek cultures. As a well-known term, he used it for the purpose of missions and evangelism. The term does not explain Jesus. Rather, Jesus explains and fills the Logos with new meaning. Wisdom has become a person. Divine reason, a man. The Greeks were correct in affirming that we could not reach the Logos. John informs us that the Logos came down and lived among us. And, of course, his name was Jesus. Right? So Jesus Christ, a preexistent, co-equal member, co-eternal member of the Trinity. We see that in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Here's the second thing about Jesus, and this is a no-brainer. He was virgin-born. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin who had never been with a man physically. Again, what does the Bible say? Look at this. Isaiah chapter 7. Here's the prophecy, Old Testament. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And then, of course, we see the fulfillment of that, Matthew chapter 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was virgin-born, and just so you hear it straight from Mary's lips, listen to this. Luke chapter 1, Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? Black print, white paper, it doesn't get any more explicit than that. And yet, nevertheless, there are the critics. There are the people who, who naysay about this and say Jesus wasn't born of a virgin. That was something that was made up a long time after Jesus came and left the earth. It's a story. It's, it, it's a tale. That's it. For, for example, R.C. Symes said this. For many Christians, so he's characterizing us now, for many Christians, to question the description of Jesus' birth as told in the Bible is unthinkable. They believe that the Bible is the word of God. And all God's people said, amen, that's right, that's what I believe. An infallible record of the Almighty's influence on his creation and therefore to be taken at face value. Again, amen. But, he says, a careful study of the stories in Matthew and Luke indicate that the the supposedly unerring word of God is full of contradictions and inventions. The most plausible conclusion is that the Christmas stories in Matthew and Luke are religious myths awkwardly grafted onto an earlier non-miraculous tradition about Jesus' birth. So this guy says the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is a myth. Well, I say he's made a terrible myth stake, don't you? Right? I mean, but that, that's, that, that's where a lot of people are at. 
This, this is just a story. Interesting, you know, the irony is this. We as followers of Jesus Christ said, yes, Jesus was born of a virgin. We, we believe in the virgin birth of Christ. But then the materialists and the humanists come along and they basically believe in a virgin birth of the universe. It just came up out of nothing. Right? Name your miracle, friends. I mean, come on, you got, you got to make room for the miraculous there. The fact is this. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, a woman who had never been with a man. Now, if that's not true, we've got to deal with some hard realities, don't we? First of all, it means either that Mary and Joseph were fooling around before they came together as husband and wife. Or, worse yet, Jesus is the product of some illicit relationship that Mary had with a young Jewish man or perhaps even a Roman soldier. Or worse of all, Mary was the victim of assault. But either way, if Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, Joseph, Mary, and the Bible are flat out lying to us. And even worse than that, if Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, conceived of the Holy Spirit, we've got a sinning Savior on our hands. And a sinning Savior ain't nobody's Savior. Amen? A sinning Savior ain't nobody's Savior. But I will tell you this. As we see Jesus Christ in the Word of God presented to us, He is presented to us as a virgin-born, sinless Savior. Now, that said, there's a couple of little side things that I want to address regarding the virgin birth, because after all, we're here this morning just asking the question, what does the Bible say, right? So two, two things. One, uh, among some Christians, there has been a, a doctrine advanced uh, called the Immaculate Conception. You ever heard of the Immaculate Conception? Now, some of you Steelers fans out there, you're thinking of the, the Immaculate Reception that Franco Harris made many years ago. We're not talking about that for all you Steelers fans, okay? All right, we're talking about the Immaculate Conception. And a lot of people hear that and they say, oh yeah, that refers to when, uh, when Jesus was conceived in Mary's room. But actually, when people talk about the, the Immaculate Conception, they're talking about when Mary was conceived in her mother's womb. Because the belief is that Mary was sinless, like she never sinned. She was not a sinner. So in other words, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, asterisk, except Mary. That, now, is that in the Bible? No, Mary was a sinner just like the rest of us. She was very faithful to the Lord, and, and, and she obeyed God, but she certainly was a sinner like the rest of us. So the, the idea of the Immaculate Conception is simply not in the Bible. Here's the other thing. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about what's called the perpetual virginity of Mary. The perpetual virginity of Mary. That's basically a, a doctrine that believes that even after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph were married, but they never had marital intimate relations never well there's only one problem with that the last verse in luke chapter one basically tells us that they didn't come together until which time jesus was born with the implied messaging that yes they they enjoyed the exact same marital relationship that the rest of us enjoy within marriage once they were born again you have to go back and ask what does the bible say but i'll tell you this the bible says that jesus christ was virgin born here's the third thing Again, no-brainer, Jesus was fully God. Fully God. Now, you really don't need to look past John 1, verse 1 to see that. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's just that simple. And yet, I want to take you down a road 
that is a reminder of the fact that Jesus Christ truly was God and fully God. And that is the many episodes where we see angels and people worshiping Jesus while he was on the earth. This is a fascinating study when you think about it. I'll start with uh, Hebrews 1.6, which is my favorite Christmas verse outside of Matthew and Luke. When God brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God said, angels, worship him. And they did so. They worshiped Jesus. Now consider also Matthew chapter 2, which by the way, on your handout, I put Matthew 1, that typo was on me, that's on me. And going into the house, talking about the wise men, they saw the, uh, the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here comes the wise men, and what do they do when they see Jesus? They fall down and they worship him. Again, here's another example, Matthew 14. Jesus has just calmed the storm in the ocean, and it says this, those in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly you are the Son of God. John chapter 9, look at this. Jesus said, this is after he healed a young man who had been born blind. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. And then lastly, Luke 24, and Jesus led his disciples out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now let me ask you a question. Every single one of these scriptures that I just read, except for Luke, was written by a Jew. And I will tell you this, no Jew would ever write favorably about anybody worshiping anything except God. Do you get it? No, no Jew would ever write favorably about what we just saw time and time and time again, and that's angels and people worshiping Jesus. I'll tell you, that's one of the greatest indicators that Jesus Christ was fully God. And just as a contrast, let's remind ourselves that worshiping anything other than God was strictly forbidden, strictly forbidden. Revelation 19, all right? An angel is giving John a tour of the heavenlies, and, and I'll just tell you what's happening here. John gets caught up, and he tries to worship the angel. Now watch this. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. You know, here's John falling down at the feet of this angel. He's overcome with what he's seeing. He tries to worship the angel, and the angel basically says, John, you better get up and stop doing that, or we're, we're both going to be in trouble, right? See the difference? We see, we, we see people worshiping Jesus in a very favorable light, and then when John tries to worship anything other than God, don't do that. Jesus Christ was fully God. Here's the last thing. Jesus Christ was fully man, yet without sin. John chapter 1, verse 14. Again, the Word was God, and it became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ did not just appear human. Jesus Christ did not somehow uh, you know, manifest himself 
in the appearance of humanity. No, people touched Jesus. Jesus was fully human, yet without sin. Again, what does the Bible say? Look at this, Hebrews 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Why does that matter? Well, let me show you why. 2 Corinthians 5, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We're going to talk about that next week, the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. Again, 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous, meaning the sinless, for the unrighteous, that's us, that's the sinners, that he might bring us to God. Now, we've just taken a little tour of the Bible, y'all. I'm not making any of this stuff up. This is, this is grounded in the Scripture, and what I've shared with you this morning is not up for debate at Crossgate Church. It's not up for grabs. It, it, it's not stuff that we're going to you know, give, and, give and take on. I mean, this, this is, these are the, the non-negotiables, the essentials of the faith about Jesus Christ. Now, if those are the essentials, and these things are the most important things to believe about Jesus, don't you think the devil would love to undermine these things? Don't you think the devil would love to take a, a jackhammer and just, and just grind away at the, at the truth, the factual truths about Jesus? Of course. But may I simply tell you something that, that I don't want you to forget? If you get Jesus wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. If you get Jesus wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. And so... The flip side of the coin this morning is not just that I want you to see some factual truths about Jesus, but we need to be on the alert about some false teachings about Jesus. Some false teachings about Jesus Christ, because they abound in this world today. The first false teaching is simply this, that the gospel accounts about Jesus are not reliable. You open your Bible... You want to read something about Jesus? Well, you know, a lot of that stuff was made up, and we can't really trust this, and we can't trust this. And so, I mean, you know, it's kind of like copy and paste job. There, there, there's a few things in there that's true, but the rest of it is just a fairy tale. That's, that's what a lot of people believe. A lot of people teach that. Gospel accounts about Jesus are not reliable. Uh, just as a few examples of how this belief is popularized, okay, I want, I want to point out uh, something that was done by the newscaster Peter Jennings a few years ago called The Search for the Historical Jesus. Uh, he made these conclusions after consulting with a bunch of uh, Jesus scholars who aren't even Christians. They're just, I mean, they're not even saved. What, what would they know about Jesus? But this is, these were his conclusions. The New Testament has four different and sometimes contradictory versions of Jesus' life. There is no reliable evidence about who the authors actually were. It is pretty much agreed that they were not eyewitnesses. In fact, the Gospels were written 40 to 100 years after Jesus' death. Okay, That's popularizing this idea that the Gospel accounts are not reliable. And then, of course, you know, there's Dan Brown with his uh, book and then the movie that came out about 15 years ago called The Da Vinci Code. A little dated, but again, th this, is, this is the stuff that people still believe to this day. Many people. The Bible is a product of man, not God. Man created it, and it has evolved through countless translations, additions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of the book. Here's the twist. When Constantine, of course he was the emperor, 
uh, roughly 300 years or so after Jesus came to the earth. He, Constantine upgraded Jesus' status almost four centuries after Jesus' death. This is Dan Brown's uh, reimagining of history here, okay? Thousands of documents already existed teaching that Jesus was only a mortal man. To rewrite the history books, Constantine knew he would need a bold stroke. So he commissioned and financed a new Bible, which omitted those Gospels that spoke of Christ's human traits and embellished those Gospels that made him godlike. You can't trust the Gospels. These are fabrications of, of people that lived hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus, and in many cases, Jesus' followers made up all these stories so they could get rich off of, off of the story. That, that, that's that's the, 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 the nugget of, of, of what I'm talking about here. Okay? The fact is, there's a lot of reasonable arguments for the authenticity and historicity of the Gospels as we have them today. For example, the Gospels were writ written well within the range of the, of the years of people who actually rubbed shoulders with the apostles and, and, and Jesus. Uh, it wasn't as though they were written in a vacuum so that no one who understood what had actually happened had no access to them. Eyewitnesses, Matthew and John, absolutely eyewitnesses. Tradition tells us that they were grounded in their ministry with Jesus, and they wrote from that perspective. Mark and Luke, both close companions of apostles who had seen Jesus Christ. When you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see intricate knowledge and details about life and geography and all of that in Judea and Galilee. And archaeology, as we continue to uncover history, even to this day, constantly affirms, not contradicts, what we see in the Gospels. And those areas where there are tensions between different accounts in the Gospels, which, by the way, you, you hear someone say, what about all the contradictions? What about all the contradictions? Just say, would you please name one for me? Most of the people who, who beat the drum about contradictions can't even name one. And if they do, there's plausible resolution for every contradiction that I've ever heard, seeming contradiction. Okay, so just keep this in mind, friends. I, I will tell you that I truly believe that when you open your Bible and you want to learn more about Jesus Christ and know Jesus Christ personally, you can trust what is recorded in the Gospels. Here's the second false teaching. Second false teaching is this. Jesus was just a, a good moral teacher and not divine. Jesus was a good moral teacher and not divine. Now, I don't know anybody who denies that Jesus was not a powerful teacher. I mean, even the Jewish leaders in the first century had to say, no one ever spoke like this man. But here's the problem. People with a naturalistic and materialistic worldview who don't believe in anything supernatural, who don't believe in anything miraculous, they basically take a baseball bat to the Gospels and just whack away at all of the things that talk about miracles and Jesus' preexistence, his supernatural identity, his virgin birth, his miracles on the earth, signs and wonders attesting of his identity as God, uh, his substitutionary death, his miraculous and powerful resurrection bodily and physically from the dead, his ascension, and his return. Now, once you've jettisoned all of that, what do you have left? Well, you've got a handful of parables, you've got the Sermon on the Mount, and you've got what many people call the golden rule. And that's pretty much the, the gist of a lot of people's Christianity. Jesus was a wonderful teacher. Jesus, Jesus was such a wonderful moral example to all of us. 
and that's it. Here, here's, here's the challenge. When you, when you do that, you don't have Jesus anymore. You certainly don't have the, the Jesus of the Bible. And, and, and you might say, well, wh why, why has that been so popular? I mean, that, this has been around for hundreds of years, this idea that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. That's it. He wasn't fully divine. Okay, he wasn't fully God. Two reasons why that remains popular to this day. First of all is because... When you say Jesus was just a good moral teacher, but you don't make any claims about the, the miracles and, and his resurrection, all of this, it allows you to appear sophisticated and intelligent to progressive elites. That's exactly what it is. Now, if you start talking about Jesus being virgin born and you talk about the resurrect, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, they will listen, they will brand you as some backwoods, hillbilly religious fanatic. That's exactly what, what will happen. But as long as you just say Jesus was just a good moral teacher, good moral example, and that's it, come on in, man. You can be a part of our, our group. Come on, we're not going to make fun of you. That, that's one of the reasons why this, uh, th this perspective has persisted. Here's the other reason. The good moral teacher, Jesus, doesn't make any exclusive truth claims, Right? And if there's anything in the Bible that even resembles an exclusive truth claim, they just write it off as, oh, that, that's something that his followers added to the, to the Bible hundreds of years later. Okay? See, the good moral teacher Jesus is all about inclusion. Let's just get everybody together, because that's really what life is all about, is just including everybody. Okay? But that's, again, is that really the Jesus we, we see in the Scripture? We'll talk about that more in just a minute. But here's, here's, here's the fact of the matter, y'all. Jesus Christ was the greatest teacher this world has ever known. But he was much more than that. He was the preexistent, co-equal member of the Trinity, the Son of God, God the Son. He was the virgin-born Savior of the world, working miracles that attested to who he was as God. He was our sinless substitutionary Savior dying on the cross, rising bodily and physically on the third day, ascending to heaven where he's seated today at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us and one day will return. That's the Jesus of the Bible. That's the Jesus that we believe in at Crossgate Church. Okay? That, yes, that's the Jesus we believe in at Crossgate Church. I don't make any apologies for that. Because I, I, all I want to do is ask, what does the Bible say? Here's the third thing. The third thing is this. The third false teaching, Jesus was the first created thing. Jesus was the first created thing. So, uh, just a couple years ago, there was, a, there was a study done called the State of Theology, and uh, researchers uh, surveyed thousands and thousands of American people with several different questions about God and religion and so forth. One of the questions was, do you believe that Jesus was the first and greatest being that God created? He was the first and greatest being that God created. 55% of Americans said, yes, I believe that. I mean, but doesn't it sound so good? Jesus was the first, and he was the greatest. I mean, what's wrong with that? Well, when you say Jesus was created, there's a lot wrong with it. Because Jesus was not created. As a co-equal, co-eternal, pre-existent member of the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus was not, is not, and never was created. 
But that's a heresy that's been around for a long time. Just a few hundred years after Jesus was on the earth, a, a man named Arius uh, taught this. Look at this. This is uh, 8300. There was a time when the sun did not exist. You understand what he's saying here? There was a time when the sun did not exist inasmuch as the sun is a creature and a work. Okay. Clearly saying that Jesus was a created being. Not true. Uh, what did the Council of Nicaea say about this? Well, this is how they addressed Arius. Those who say there was a time when he was not, and those who say he came into being, and those who say he was created, these we curse. Boy, they were going after the heresy back in those days, weren't they? These we curse. There's a difference. I'm telling you, if you get Jesus wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. You say is this belief still around to this day? I mean, yeah, 55% of Americans, but maybe they misunderstood the question, Pastor. Yes, this belief is very much alive in a well today, and I will just give you one example. Okay, I took this straight from the Jehovah's Witness website. Look at this. God created Jesus before creating Adam. In fact, God created Jesus and then used him to make everything else, including the angels. That is why the Bible calls Jesus the firstborn of all creation. Now, that is a quote from Colossians chapter 1. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. But it doesn't mean that Jesus was created, that he was the first thing that was created. It means that he had a prime seat when God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God had created the universe. Okay? By the way, the Jehovah's Witnesses also mis very terribly mishandle uh, John 1 verse 1 where their translation because they have their own copy of the Bible It doesn't say and the word was with God and the word was God It says and the word was with God and the word was a God Big difference That's one letter That I believe makes a difference between heaven or hell one letter a God Fourth, fourth thing look at this. This is the last one. Jesus was just one of many prophets and ways to God. This is so prevalent in our culture today, whether it's because Christians are so sloppy in their theology, or because people who don't believe in God simply like the idea of a pluralistic uh, uh, existence where all roads lead to heaven, we're all on different trains, but they all get to the same station, you know, that kind of thing, right? Well, here's, here's the problem with, with that. As we understand the Bible, okay, the, the, the problem with saying that all ways lead to God Jesus is just one of many ways. If that's true, first of all, Jesus is a liar. Jesus Christ, and listen, I, I'm not saying Jesus is a liar. I'm just telling you that if, if Jesus is just one of many ways to God, Jesus Christ is a liar. Why? Because this is what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, you cannot explain that away. You cannot somehow, you know, Read between the lines, well, that's not really what Jesus meant, or the, or the disciples made that up later, or what. This is, Je this is Jesus. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I will tell you, if Jesus Christ is just one of the ways to God, Jesus Christ is a liar. But you know what else? If, if there are many different ways to God, Jesus is just one of many ways, guess what? God is a monster. He is an absolute monster. You say, God's a monster. What are, you, what are you talking about, Pastor? I will tell you, if Jesus Christ is just one of many ways to God, God is a monster. Let me give you a scripture. 
Galatians chapter 2, look at this. If salvation came by good works, or you just fill in the blank with anything besides good works, another religion, uh, you know, whatever you want to say, giving money, if salvation came by good works, then Christ died for no reason. What's the argument in this verse? The argument is this. If there was a bunch of different ways for men and women and boys and girls to come to God, and God knew that, and he sent his one and only son to die on the cross in blood and agony, what does that say about God? I mean, for real, he's a, he's a monster. I wouldn't want to meet that God in a dark alley. He, he, he sent his one and only son to die and suffer unspeakable pain and, and hardship and, and, and anguish on the cross for no reason if people could come to God in some other way. May I tell you this? I don't believe Jesus is a good way to go to heaven. I don't believe Jesus is one of many ways to go to heaven. I believe Jesus Christ, the one and only, is the only way. Why? Because that's the way I want it? Because that's how I dreamed it up? Read your Bible. What does the Bible say? I would be derelict in my duties as a minister of the gospel if I did not tell you the truth. That Jesus is not just one of many ways to God. Say, Pastor Phil, why? man, you're getting amped up this morning. Why? Because we're talking about Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart, if you get Jesus wrong, it doesn't matter what you get right. There's cults today known for their morality, known for their, their kindness and goodness and all of that, but they get Jesus flat wrong. And they've got nothing but hell in front of them. You know why I know this? Look at Galatians chapter 1. This is Paul the Apostle writing to the Galatians. There were false teachers coming into this region presenting a totally different gospel, totally different Jesus than what Paul had preached. Look what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. False teachings. But, watch this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now he's getting emphatic, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. That's not Phil Kramer talking. That's an apostle of Jesus Christ speaking and writing. You say, Pastor, why, why, why even was Paul so adamant about this? Listen, friends, God calls us to put our faith and our trust and everything we are and ever hope to be in Jesus Christ God wants us to put all of our eggs in the Jesus basket. Don't you think it matters that we get Jesus right? I mean, we're, we're counting on Jesus for our eternal destiny. Not to mention life and forgiveness and, and eternal life here on this earth. John chapter 20. Look, look at how John concludes his gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you have life in the name of Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ personally? 
Have you been saved? Has there been a time in your life when you have drawn a line in the sand spiritually and stepped over that line and said, Jesus, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior? That happened to me when I was 17 years old. For some of you, it happened when you were six, seven, eight years old. For some of you, it happened when you were much older. But every single person has to, has to answer that question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Listen to me. What will I do with Jesus Christ? It's the most important question and the most important decision. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ today, I want to challenge you and encourage you today to trust Jesus. You don't know for certain that if you died today, you'd immediately go to heaven. You need to be saved to trust Christ by, in your own words, simply telling Jesus this. Jesus, yes, I do believe I'm a sinner. Pastor talked about that. I, I, I am a sinner. I'm separated from God. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. My sins. And Jesus, I believe you rose again physically and bodily on the third day. And right now, Jesus, you are holding out the free gift of eternal life to me. And I want to receive it. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.